Well, that was the opening music to Son of Frankenstein, released in 1939, and starring our person of the moment, Basil Rathbone, as Baron Wolf von Frankenstein. And it has the returning character of Boris Karloff as the monster. Uh, and a really excellent, outstanding performance by Bela Lugosi as Igor or Igor. We're not, we're not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> I get it confused with the name from Young Frankenstein. Is it Igor or Igor? I was having flashbacks to Young Frankenstein this, the whole time <laughs> I was watching this movie. Uh, and then a really, another really outstanding performance by Lionel Atwell as uh, Inspector Krogh. Uh, he was hilarious. Uh, unintentionally hilarious, I think. He was uh, very prim and proper and, and reminded me of Kenneth Mars, who played his character in Young Frankenstein. Yeah, it was like, a, it was like a, they lifted this character right out of Son, Son of Frankenstein <laughs> and put it in Young, young Frankenstein, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 this one was not intended to be a comedy, but sometimes I'd be laughing because I would remember Young Frankenstein. Same. Well, and, and also Basil Rathbone was a, was kind of over the top at some parts. Have you ever heard someone speak more precisely than Basil did in this film? He's perfect. His diction was very correct. Very proper. Some might say that he had a board up a certain part of his body, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his his wife Josephine Hutchison as the Baroness Elsa von Frankenstein did quite a nice job. She she definitely was uh, taking it all with a stiff upper lip, you might say. Like, until until near the end where she says, I'm so terrified. I've never wanted to be here. No kidding. That <laughs> castle was something else, man. She was enjoyable. She was in the business from 1917 until 1971. Holy smokes. A lot of television and film work. And then Donnie Dunnigan... Yeah. As Peter von Frankenstein, he had a lot of uh, lines in the movie. As the young, it's the son, yeah. He did, and he was very open-minded about Boris. Well, he was just a nice, gentle giant, yeah, until the end. Yes, <laughs> or if he got around Igor. Igor had a mes or Igor. mesmeric hold over the monster, you might say. I read that there was, uh, in the scene near the end where the monster picks up uh, Peter, that uh, Boris dropped him, dropped him right on his his stomach and face oh, onto the concrete floor. Uh, so they had to wire him up to uh, the monster to to Boris so that he wouldn't drop him again. I mean, I, I can see, it would be hard because you're all dressed up in that suit and you got to hold this little kid. It'd be hard to do. I I read where Boris Karloff was a very gentle man, very very quality oriented and, and involved with his family. For him to have done that, he must have felt yeah. terrible. I also read that when one of his children was born, he was in that full makeup. I don't know if it was for this film or one of the others. And he rushed off of the set and went to the hospital. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Can you imagine? Wow. How'd you like to be the receptionist as he walks in? Um, <laughs> she quit. Well, that was that's kind of like the story about the, the movie The Thing from Another World, where... Um, What's his name was dressed up as the thing, and he drove around in a convertible and freaked people out. Yeah, they were testing it out. So I think it was the director and and James Arness drove around and. Can you imagine just looking out and seeing that? Yikes! That would change your life. This is 
our third movie in our Basil Rathbone Festival. Uh, we've got one more, The Mark of Zorro. Oh, which has sword fights again. This didn't have any sword fights, but it did have one kind of like swinging from the rafters on a rope scene at the end, which was kind of cool. When he That was nice. Know, he just needed a sword into in his hand. a pit hands, of sulfur. You know? <laughs> yeah, into the pit of sulfur. <laughs> And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And I'm Matt, coming to you from North Bend, where we've had a big snowstorm this week, but now it's turning to rain. And this is Bob uh, Johnson in Los Angeles, welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews. And The Son of Frankenstein, which, while it was being made, had the working title of After Frankenstein. Ah, I think Son of Frankenstein is a lot better. Well, because it kind of means two things, and they even talk about it in the movie, where the monster is also the son of Frankenstein. Sure. And and uh, the Baron, the good Baron, Basil, even modifies a sign that's down in the depths of that place where it said that Frankenstein, the creator of monsters or something like that, and they changed it to creator of creators of creators of men to signify that the monster was actually a man. There's a lot of like little quips in this movie that were great. And there was one at the beginning when they're on the train, Baron and the, and uh, Elsa and Peter. And the, the, the Baron is, or, or yeah, Baron Wolf von Frankenstein is going on and on about his family and how they've been disparaged and, and how even the name of the monster, the people call it, Frankenstein, and the way they did that was right out of Young Frankenstein. It was it was so funny. What strange looking country? <laughs> Not much like America, is it? On my first trip to Europe, I was prepared for anything, but well, I'm glad we went to London and Paris first. We must be getting close to the village now. It's exciting, isn't it? Out there in the darkness, a new life lies before us. <laughs> no more college classrooms, no more faculty meetings. I feel rather like an explorer. That's what it is. We're going to explore something so foreign to us that we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. Medieval castle. I wonder if there's a moat. And a drawbridge and a great, tall, dark tower. And battlements. Perhaps there's a haunted room. Oh, yes. There's sure to be a haunted room. The castle itself is supposed to be haunted. Because of... Yes. Yes, because of the things my father did there. I remember stories my mother used to tell me when I was quite young in England. It wasn't my father's fault that the being he created became a senseless, murderous monster. He was right. You understand that, don't you, dear? He was right. It was the unforeseen blunder of a stupid assistant that gave his creation the brain of a killer instead of a normal one. Ha! Huh. And how my father was made to suffer for that mistake. His name has become synonymous with horror and monsters. Why, nine out of ten people call that misshapen creature of my father's experiments. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of parallels here. Basil was just perfect in this role. He, he sets out to uh, make his father's name mean something and that his work was really worthwhile. And I tell you, everybody in that town hated him. When they showed up in the train, it was like... Well, he was kind of full of himself, too, because he gets off the train and he gives that speech. And it, it starts out pretty It starts out pretty good, but then he, yes. he says, but I know that he was just misunderstood and that he was a good man. And you hear everybody in the crowd groan. 
And don't they all leave? <laughs> Leaving just the inspector there. And the burger, uh, the burger master and, and the other people that were on the council, I think. When they showed up at the castle where his father had done all of his work, it looked like they were moving into a mausoleum. Yeah, wasn't the set design cool too? It reminded me of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It was it was so right out of that German expressionist style. It was awesome. It really it really is. And and it's, everything is so big in that main hall. And when they eat, they're in a room that looks like you could have 20 people. I liked it when uh, Elsa asked Amelia, who's kind of like the caregiver. Uh, should I take you, sir? Uh, no, just take my coat, will you? Oh, it's so glad to see you. Bless you, Amelia. Oh, what a comfort to find you here. Welcome, madam. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Amelia. I think Pete had better go right to bed. It's been a long trip. Come along, darling. Oh, Amelia, are the bedrooms cheery? Uh, yes, madam. Quite cheery. I think you'll be surprised. And Amelia <laughs> gives her this look like, are you <laughs> kidding me? All I could imagine was a place that was never warm. <laughs> no kidding. He's going to decide how he's going to go about redeeming his father's image. The Burgermaster, played by Lawrence Grant, had given him this box of papers from his father. And so we cut to the scene where he's in this library and he's looking through the box of papers with his, uh, his butler, played by Edgar Norton. Thomas Benson is the character's name. And he's going through these papers. Or was it the... And then the inspector shows up. That's right. And then we meet the inspector... Yeah, he came over for a, a social call. He's going on and on about how he's going to do right by his father. And he even salutes his father's painting with some brandy. Think of it, Benson. Here in this very study, the luminous facet of his brilliant mind conceived his outstanding theory of... the source of life. Here he planned a miracle. And saw it come to pass. A miracle that the good people of Frankenstein called a monster. They call it a lot worse than that, sir. Such stories as I never heard. Would you like a brandy, sir? Yes, thank you, Benson. my beliefs and my unfoldments, a complete diary of my experiments, charts, and secret formulas. In short, the sum total of my knowledge, such as it is. Perhaps you will regard my work with ridicule or even with distaste. If so, destroy these records. But if you, like me, burn with the irresistible desire to penetrate the unknown, carry on. Even though the path is cruel and torturous, carry on. Like every seeker after truth, we will be hated, blasphemed, and condemned. But mayhap what I have failed, you will succeed. You have inherited the fortune of the Frankensteins. I trust you will not inherit their fate.
sir. He was very into making short speeches. <laughs> he was. In perfect English. <laughs> he must have had a fun time with this role. It just looked like he was enjoying himself. I read that he didn't like the monster movies and that he, it wasn't one of his favorites. He sure plays it up well. I've... Well, and as, as the good Baron is off kind of exploring the castle, who does he run into but the demented blacksmith who had survived a hanging? Yeah. He was hanged because he had been grave robbing for guess who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the good Baron's father. That's that speech where he says... Uh, what you wanted to show me? Has he been here? Long time. He's my friend. He he does things for me. Has he always been here? Nearly always. This is place of the dead. We're all dead here. (laughs) (laughs) He's indeed a very scary person. And he, he's got his, his neck is all messed up because of the hanging. It didn't kill him. That, that makeup effect was so good, too. And I, 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 I could not help myself. I kept thinking of Marty Feldman in Young Frankenstein with the same kind of makeup. And, and he, he had a deformity on his back that would move from one side of his back to the yeah. other. And he, he, he made out as though he didn't think he had anything at all. So, so he had must he must have watched this film many times to kind of pick up those characters. It's kind of a fascinating. Did you read about the story of the script and how uh, the director just kind of threw out the original script and wrote the screenplay as they were going? I did not. No. Bella Lugosi at the time was really in need of work, and so they got him got him really cheap, uh, and he was paid. I think it was it was a certain amount per day or something like that. And he originally had a very small part in the movie. And then um, Boris Karloff and Basil Rathbone and the director all felt like he was getting screwed over. So they rewrote his character to be like one of the main characters so that he would actually be on set and get paid a decent amount of money. Oh, I like that story. Yeah. And he did such a wonderful job. He, He's just... I don't know how to describe him. He's, he's demented. He's demented, but at the same time, it's like you kind of had. I kind of had sympathy for him a little bit because 
the people in town were just so cruel to him, you know, and, and then they hanged him and then he lived, but they thought that he was dead, but then he came back to life. Yeah. And then they, and then he was living in this like totally crappy place and kind of hanging out in the demolished laboratory that smelled like sulfur. Can you just imagine how bad that must have smelled? Oh man. Oh, and, and the, the set was so good. You could see the steam and stuff rising off the sulfur and then they'd show the bubbling cauldron of <laughs> and i'm like why would you build your your laboratory in that place well inspector krog has a has the backstory that he says that it was originally built by the romans and and maybe it was the very first health spa in the world and then he kind of looks and he, he goes oh, maybe not <laughs> <laughs> yeah right you die from the smell and the other thing that uh, Igor's neck and hanging uh, brought to mind was Clint Eastwood in Hang 'Em High, where he gets hanged at the first of the movie, and the rest of the movie he's got that terrible uh, bruise left on his neck from the hang. And he's wearing that handkerchief around his neck the whole time until the very yeah. end. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good movie. I think I've been watching too many films when I translate one film to another one. That has no connection other than a hanging. Well, that's a connection still. That is a connection, yes. It took four hours to do the makeup on Boris Karloff. And there's some great behind-the-scenes photos of him, like, eating sandwiches and drinking, like, something. looks like some kind of alcoholic beverage while he's getting makeup on. <laughs> wow. I just... I, I The movies that he he's in are always so much fun, and he... One of the favorites is that he was the voice of the Grinch. Yeah. In those television, the Grinch, those television shows, the Grinch that stole Christmas. Yeah. I think the name of it was. He was he was always grateful it, for the role too. He I'll, I'll I found a really neat interview of him with him later in his life. The interviewer asked him, "How did you make out with Frankenstein? Did uh, you like the, the the person you had to interpret?" Oh yes, it was it it, it was uh, it was a great challenge, and tremendously interesting because. Here was a completely helpless, inarticulate, lumbering, helpless creature in a strange and hostile world without speech, and he had to communicate to people, and it was a challenge to find some way to do it. How did people react to Frankenstein? Well, the film itself, of course, was an enormous success, mm -hmm. and um, they have made all told this is Universal, who sort of first made the Frankenstein. They've made, all told, I suppose, at least a dozen of them. But I only played the monster in the first three, because I felt there wasn't much left to do in the character. It was getting less and less and less. A monster series could be of an appeal to the public. Do you explain the reason of the success of the series? Yes, I think I can. We know that fashions in plays and in films and in stories change. They go in cycles, then they die out, then they come back again. But this kind of story, not, not of necessity the monster, but this kind of story seems to go on forever. And I've often wondered if the real reason isn't that it's the oldest kind of story in the world, really, that it has its roots very deep in the legends and the fairy tales and the folklore of every race in the world. It has a universal appeal. And I think that's why they go on, mm -hmm. in, in one form or another. 
Now, they go on without you because you only made the first three. Don't you regret the monster tales? Uh, no, not really. The monster turned out to be the best friend I ever had. He changed the whole course of my life. I was an obscure and struggling, unknown actor. Then all of a sudden I get this marvellous opportunity handed to me with all the help and assistance that I could ask for. And uh, in my career, my work hasn't stopped since. 32 years later, you are asking me about him. Now, who could ask for anything better than that? <laughs> what a positive attitude. I also read that uh, in 1950, uh, Mr. Karloff had a weekly radio program on WNEW in New York City. I think that was a public station run by the school district there. It was a children's program. He, wrote, he uh, read children's stories, had them do riddles. He did give them riddles to do over the over the uh, radio and it was so popular that adults were listening in as well but it's a, it's a it's a sign of, of what kind of person he was that he would uh, do that show and enjoy it so much there's a picture of him doing that show and he looks just so perfect in the role there's another anecdote that i read where in the original frankenstein movie the little girl that he kills by throwing her in the lake yes well she in real life when they were on the set there on uh, she wasn't afraid of him at all even though he was all dressed up and she'd seen him you know as the monster and she just and i think the person said i think she probably just sensed that there was a gentle spirit underneath all that makeup and i could see that because he he does seem like a really cool like gentle nice person and yet, you know, since we also like old-time radio, he did seven radio shows called Lights Out. Oh, I love Lights Out. That's a great show. From 19, 1938 to 1947, and those are really scary, scary radio programs. And then he was the TV host of Thriller, which was a, which was a science fiction show in the early 60s on NBC. So he bounced all over the place. I don't know if that he ever did a musical, but he probably did in his early stage days. So back to our story. We're locked in this beautifully designed castle with a homey feel. <laughs> yeah, it's very cozy. Yeah, very cozy. Wolf on Frankenstein is getting more and more obsessed with the idea of, of continuing his father's work. But then lo and behold, <laughs> Igor, or Igor, takes him down under the, under the laboratory to this crypt where there's his grandfather and his father's body, and dun, 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 the monster is still there. <laughs> and he's still alive. He's still alive, yeah. And he's been doing Igor's bidding by going out and bumping off members of the jury that convicted Igor. Yeah, what a great sort of subplot. I, I really like the, that they wrote that into the story <laughs> because it, it really adds a dimension to it that I don't think was going to be there, maybe in the original script. I'm visualizing the director and Karloff and Basil sitting around saying, we need to expand Bella's role. Let's, let's add this story to the, to the film, how he's controlling the monster. And then they show some scenes later of the monster going out and doing Igor's bidding. The monster in this movie doesn't talk, which was kind of like Boris's wish that he, he didn't ever really like that the monster talked in the second movie and so they wrote it in that he would just do the grunting 
But he's pretty smart, and he's yeah. able to pull off these murders and make it look like their hearts burst. I, I was trying to imagine the physiology of like how that would work, but it's sort of like supernatural, I guess. <laughs> Although if he, if he walked into my living room, I think I would have that happen <laughs> in that makeup. Yeah, maybe their hearts just burst from fright. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, there's a great line and scene a little bit later where they do all these experiments on him. Wasn't that wasn't that great, like, mad scientist stuff? Oh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> all we needed was Gene Wilder with his hair completely flying out and screaming, It's alive! I feel like Gene Wilder took a little inspiration from Basil Rathbone in some of those scenes, because Basil's eyes, he looks like he's absolutely crazy. Yes, he does. And he is. And his hair is a little bit disheveled. And there's a scene where um, he talks about how the monster isn't human. Like, he's, he's superhuman. Considerable osteodermia in the frontal region. Apparently, these are the exterior electrodes. The means by which my father inducted the vital energy into the body. Systolic pressure of a 300. Diastolic of a 220. Three times normal. Definite hyperpituitary. Minus 65. That accounts for his great size. human heart could possibly function like that especially in his condition it's beating it over 250 to the minute he's completely superhuman that 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 his his dad was trying to find the super violet ray that was going to imbue the monster with life but what he actually found was the cosmic rays, which they didn't even know about back in his time, but the cosmic rays were what imbued him with life and actually made him immortal. And I was like, whoa, this this uh, this is really going into it. Because I'd never it is. heard that Frankenstein's monster was immortal until this movie. Well, I think he was because he came back in the next sequel, Ghost of Frankenstein, after having fallen into that pit of sulfur. That's no mean feat. <laughs> I just love that part so much. It was, it was. I was really into that. I love the lab scenes in all the Frankenstein. They're so well done. Yeah, they are. Even the even the Hammer films where they have that, they always have a laboratory in bright. This color. was the first time that the monster was shown actually hooked up to wires on those bolts on the side of his neck. They didn't show that in the first two movies. Oh, I didn't know that. But it was I was laughing because he's he's got the monster hooked up to this generator and the monster's starting to smoke like he's getting cooked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, man, how you want him like medium or medium well or like well done, I'm not sure. <laughs> you, you might want to dial that back. <laughs> and Igor is getting upset and he's like, Stop it and then the Baron is like, No, we must keep going. Ensign, turn on the generator.
It's no good, Igor. I've done everything I can. I'm afraid we'll never get him out of this coma. Come on, Benson. Take off these electrodes. Yes, yes. And he's even crazier looking. <laughs> or more crazed, I should say. And then they think that they failed, but uh, it turns out that, no, actually, he just needed a little bit more time to wake up from his coma. And and yeah. he's been wandering, unbeknownst to the to the Baron, he's been walking around the castle visiting his son and <laughs> just taking a stroll, <laughs> going through all the secret passages. A lot of secret passages, yeah. Which he knows. There are, yeah, that makes it nice, too. There's probably a, a secret passage to every room. Oh, another thing that made me laugh was that he got Benson involved in it, too. And I'm like, Benson is probably pooping his pants right now. Like, I don't want to be involved in this. I know. I never signed up for this crazy stuff. That guy was a, a, a nice <laughs> butler. And he got he's over in the lab with, with Basil. Taking and notes. And working on things. He's trying yeah, to convince man. the Baron, like or Baron uh, Frankenstein, like, we, we shouldn't be doing this. I, I never signed up for this. <laughs> I, if I were him, I would have asked for extra <laughs> yeah. pay. Shit, this is dangerous. And then we find out that the inspector has uh, planted somebody in the in the castle to spy on Frankenstein, and that guy comes to the to the inspector and says, "I'm not going to work at Castle Frankenstein any longer. I've seen enough to make me suspicious. I'm going to quit." Oh no, you're not. You'll stay there and report to me everything you see and hear. I'll call there myself this afternoon. You'll be well repaid. Now, go back and don't tell anyone you see me. Understand? Yes, sir. <laughs> These people are crazy. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> the inspector just throws some more money at him and says, no, you won't. You'll go back there and you'll report back to me. <laughs> it's just so... It's just so over the top. It's great. Oh, it is, but it's so much fun. It really is. And... Um, we we see Igor Igai, Igor whatever his name is, he commands and commits a series of murders through his surrogate, the monster. It's becoming more obvious that something's going on, and the townspeople are getting riled up, and they're starting to form an angry mob. And the inspector comes up to the house, is going to get to the bottom of this. He's fairly convinced that the monster is alive and is wandering around again. Because there's been two more murders. Basically, everybody that convicted Igor and hung him is now dead. And there's a great scene between the inspector and Frankenstein when they're throwing darts, where they're kind of going back and forth about what's going on. And Come in! Well, good evening, Inspector. I thought that I'd see you sooner. Sorry, I've been busy. Very busy indeed for me. My job is usually rather a sleepy one. Have a drink? Thank you, no. Afraid I should require all the wits I've got tonight. I've never seen you disturbed before, Inspector. Well, you've even forgotten to take off your hat. Not forgotten here, Baron. Merely a matter of form. My business tonight is official, not social. Rather a crude custom, I agree, but... The custom? Well, sir, what news from the front? Another death, another inquest. When did it occur? This afternoon? No, sometime last night. It was only discovered late this morning. Herr Lang, this time, 
the village apothecary, a very old and dear friend. He'll be mourned. Too bad. Yes, isn't it? Herr Lang, eh? Never heard of him before. Oh, well. I suppose the villagers will say that I killed him just the same. No, not that you killed him, but that you know who did. Really? But of course I know who did. Haven't you heard? The monster! <laughs> yes. That's what they think. Is it the old legendary monster of my father's time? Or am I supposed to have whipped one up as a housewife whips up an omelette? I've been here over a month, you know. Your wife and child are in danger. So? From what? Try to send them away. Yes, I will tomorrow in spite of you. You forget. I have my hat on. Meaning that I'm under arrest. Yes. I promised your arrest of the villagers to keep them quiet. For the moment. Ah. For the murder of Lang and Neumala? No. For the murder of Benson. A technical charge. For the time being. Why don't you search the laboratory? You have my permission? I've searched it already. Without your permission. With two men the other night. We found nothing incriminating, but a very large table, fit for a giant. Yes. Yes, it was my father's. I reconstructed it out of curiosity. Why don't you search it again? Why, George, I... I think I know who your monster may be. Good. Who? Old Igor. <laughs> of course, why not? <laughs> Everybody wants to hang old Igor again. Yet he has a perfect alibi. He was constantly under observation when every murder was committed. It's curious that the entire jury that hanged him is dead. But he was never seen at the scene of the crime. Yet it would be too simple to hang old Igor. Well, I don't trust him. I'm going to find him and... Kick him off the estate. With your permission? Yes. If you like. They're both just overacting to the hilt in that scene. I thought, it's great. It is. And, and the Baron, the good Baron, in a, in, a, in a struggle, discovers what Igor's been up to and confronts him and then shoots him. Which was hilarious because he's right in the middle of being interrogated by the inspector. And, and the yes. inspector says, he says, I think it's Igor that did this. And the inspector's like, no, we've had him being watched and he was under surveillance the entire time. It's not him. And then Frankenstein's like, well, I'm going to at least kick him off the estate. And then he looks at the inspector and says, I'm going to go do that right now if you don't mind. <laughs> right. just, just stay here just wait I'll, I'll be right back okay, just... then he goes off and <clears throat> runs to the and... laboratory and basically kills Igor comes back and then says to the inspector the inspector says did you find Igor and he says yes I did and I killed him <laughs> but it, it's interesting to me that we're never really sure that he's dead right well not really I'm... he apparently kills him and I'm thinking maybe they're going to use him again in the Ghost of Frankenstein. I can't remember. Actually, yeah, he could still be alive. I mean, the monster had two bullets in his heart, and he was still alive. So my thought is, well, maybe they left it that way in case they wanted to 
put him into the next sequel. He does come back in the Ghost of Frankenstein. Uh, so yeah, he's not he's not really go. dead. It's amazing how that happens. Then we've got the uh, the monster has kidnapped the little boy, Donnie, and uh, then there's that big fight in the laboratory. Yeah, and there's a great scene bef- a little bit before that when the monster finds Igor and thinks that he's dead and then just goes crazy and oh, starts yes. throwing all this equipment down into the pit and it's all exploding. and He's just out of control. And then he goes into the secret passages and then kidnaps the little boy. That's a pretty good fight scene in the laboratory. It is. It's it's well done because it was a little more difficult to you know, tell when the stuntman took over and then it, or when, when it was really Boris and Basil. It really looked like somebody swung down on that rope and and kicked the somebody else off the edge though. Wow, that was that was well done. Into that cauldron of hell. Wow. So it it, it ends up that uh, Donnie is rescued and uh, the Baron has redeemed himself and I think he gives the keys to the castle either to the good inspector or to the crowd. Herewith I deed to you the castle and the estates of Frankenstein. Do with them what you will, and may happiness and peace of mind be restored to you all. Goodbye. I thought, man, they should turn it into a tourist attraction, you know? (laughs) Or a health spa. Just like a haunted house. Like, they could turn it into, like, a Disneyland type of place. And then we get that scene where where the good Baron and, and his wife and Donnie are leaving. And it's like nothing really happened. There have been a few murders and that sort of thing. But, you know. All the town seems seems to be happy. And they want to be nice to Frankenstein again. And I'm thinking, he still kind of tried to bring the monster back to life. And the monster did kill a bunch yeah. of people. <laughs> and and the good Baron is just perfect. In the way. He looks perfect. He speaks correctly. And off they go. Half the time he looked completely baffled at and terrified about what was going on. And I thought that was a really good touch because I don't I don't know if he really believed that his father actually did create life like that. And then when it when it actually was confronting him, I think he was terrified by it. And he did a good job yeah, of showing that. He really did. It it was another indication of his range of talent. The, this film was really well received when it came out in in the in the uh, reviews <clears throat> and it, it i bet the people elated as could be because now they knew they could do another sequel apparently there was a ban on horror movies in europe in the 30s and so universal kind of stopped making them as much and then somebody decided to do this revival of dracula and frankenstein and king kong as kind of like a triple feature and it was a huge success. And then, so that was in New York. And then they took that and kind of went across the country with it and had like this revival. And then that's what kickstarted Universal into wanting to make more monster movies into the 40s. And so that's oh. why there's like this uptick of these Universal monster movies in the 40s is because there had been this sort of like this drought of them in the 30s. And then it got kickstarted again with that revival. There's, there seems to be an endless market for those kinds of films, even today. About a year ago, uh, we didn't review this, but we went to see The Invisible Man. No, we did review it. It was a special episode, yeah. Haley and I, Haley and I reviewed it. Oh, okay. 
it was uh, it was a wonderful film, a great rendition. So they're they're well, it, it kind of got uh, beaten out of the um, box office because of the COVID nineteen, but it was a good film, and I think there's a lot of interest in doing more. Of those. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed that they're they, Universal tried to restart the. I think they were calling it the Universal Horror Monster Universe or something like that. Um, they came out with a movie called I Frankenstein, which was a flop, and then they came out with another movie that was also a flop. Oh, um, The Mummy with Tom, Tom Cruise. That was also a flop. Oh, was that a flop? Oh, okay. Yeah, and so I, I kind of wish that they'd been able to pull together some good movies and, and really restart that whole thing, because, yeah, I love these old monster movies. They're so fun to watch. They are. They are. I just I came across the uh, review by the Village Boys uh, after this film came out, and uh, the uh, author of the review praised Bela Lugosi's performance as Igor or Igor, writing, and I quote, "He pretty much steals the movie in his last really juicy role," and that's so true. Totally. Because after that, he did so many other weird films. Yeah, Basil Rathbone, Boris Karloff, and Bela Lugosi. Actually, and Lionel Atwell all are excellent, but I think Bor- uh, Bela Lugosi really, really does steal this movie for me. He's he's the memorable part of it. He is. And, of course, we cannot ever forget that he stole the show in Plan 9 from Outer Space, which was released three years after his death. That's right. Which is in itself kind of unusual. <laughs> Poor guy. I looked him up on on a couple of sites, and he was a handsome, as a young man, very handsome actor. Definitely. So was Boris Karloff, though, actually. Oh, totally, yeah. So this is a a fun movie. I give this movie an eight. Yeah. On my fun meter, a fun meter. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of like that seven or eight for me, too, I think, um, it's it's definitely I, I I think my favorite one is Bride of Frankenstein and then the original Frankenstein and then this this one. Yes. And I was reading some people think that they like this one as their favorite and there are definitely things about this one that I, I like a lot, uh, but just the overall sort of like story and presentation I think is better for me in Bride of Frankenstein. But yeah, it's probably a seven for me. I think we've been pretty consistent over the podcasts and how we've rated these films but it's hard not to give a high rating to elsa lancaster's hair in the bride of frankenstein oh gosh yeah that first scene when she shows up oh my goodness yeah that's one of the classic scenes in for sure for sure she was really good in that and then she wants nothing to do with boris that was so disappointing yeah kaylin and i watched this movie son of frankenstein last night and i was saying that i always felt bad for the monster because this guy, I mean, he was dead, and then he came back to life in this horribly misshapen form and is ostracized from society, and then and then the doctor tries to make another monster for him to live with, and she's like, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> you got to be kidding. I, 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 every time I watch these, I think of the book, Mary Shelley's book, and the sadness in that book about the monster it's just well yeah i mean the book is even more so that different. way and, and there's been some yeah. there's been some movies that try to stay more true to the book and you know the monster in the book really isn't that misshapen it's it, he's more of just a tragic character who's sort of like ripped yes. out of society and yes. ripped out of time and can't fit in yeah so 
Well, I enjoyed this. I would recommend it to anyone that likes anything having close to do with horror movies or or old, or old universal films. They were the they were the leader in that field. Yeah, and you've got to watch it to complete the trilogy of the Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein movies with uh, with this cast of Boris Karloff as the monster. And then we we can't forget that they book they bookended it with Abbott and Costello <laughs> <laughs> in 1948. I think it was 1948. Wow. Well, anyway, that was that was a lot of fun. So that was our review of Son of Frankenstein, and coming to you from. Snowy North Bend, this is Matt. And in Los Angeles, this is Bob wishing everybody happy movie watching. Our, our shots were, uh, boy, they had that thing so well planned, I tell you. And the only after effect I've got is the soreness where they gave me the shot. Nancy's feeling a little tired today, but not not too bad. And her arm hurts, but I'm so glad to be done. Was it at the same place that you got your first shot? Sa- yeah, the same same place, same process. We didn't have to use our phones to get ID. We had a card and our driver's license in there got us right in well i mean we had to wait in line but they, they've got like 10 lines of cars so they it's really a mass production oh is it a drive-through thing you just drive through yeah it's a drive-through it'd be like if they took that big parking lot at the university of washington and turned it into a vaccination site yeah they, i wish they would do that and they've opened two more like that they opened another one at another state university and another one out at the uh, Forum, which is a big concert venue out in Inglewood. So they're really pushing people through, which is good. Doug Kinsley, you've met him. He's from Mohall, North Dakota. He lives here. His mom and, his mom and dad are in their 90s. He said it was so quaint. There's, a, there's one clinic in town, because it's only like a 1,000 people in the town, and the nurse practitioner's assistant called everybody and said, "Come on in and get your shot." <laughs> so it was very, it was very informal, because here we had to sign up, and you know you got, I don't know, millions of people wanting the shots. Yeah, they should have some of those sites going. They've got plenty of space for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully that we'll we'll get to that point.